Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. Norris to Shabbat. Back across the ground to Shabbat. Sends it up. Norris scores! Shabbat Norris! And there it is, Josh Norris with a game-winning goal in overtime. The Sens have had a couple of nice performances. Victories over the St. Louis Blues and a victory over the Kraken. What have you thought of the last week? Was that St. Louis Blues game possibly the best game you've seen this team play in, I want to say, two full seasons this season and last year? Just a great performance all around by everyone in the lineup. Really nice game. Yeah, and you got great goaltending at the right time. What a glove mm-hmm. save. That's in the that's a candidate for save of the year. You're up 2-1 in a game. It's early in the third period, and one of the best goal scorers in the league, and Tarasenko has the puck with room to operate, and he absolutely fires one, and Forsberg makes a great glove save. And if that thing goes in, as it often does for Tarasenko, that might have been an entirely different outcome. Exactly. Uh, You know, Forsberg's been hot for uh, quite a while now, and and Matt Murray out with an injury was was pretty darn good himself in that stretch uh, until that injury. It's it just leaves you now. Okay, I can't wait till next year. I can't wait to see when you you add a Pinto and you add a Sanderson and everybody's healthy and and people get slotted in where they belong. And maybe cross our fingers, you add another top six forward, another top four D. Uh, it, it looks real good for what this team's going to look like uh, for some unparalleled success next season. Since January 1st, Anton Forsberg has the third best save percentage of any NHL goalie. You've got Shesterkin with the Rangers. Who, I swear, I mean, this guy might get some Hart Trophy candidacy before this thing is over. You've also got Boston's Jeremy Swayman. And then, then you have Forsberg at number three. And I, I don't know, I just feel like you you can't let that guy go at the trade deadline. When you look at Gustafson, he's just kind of, as a as an NHLer, they seem to have uh, forgone him. And then you've got Matt Murray, who's inconsistent, both from an injury and performance standpoint. You never quite know what you're going to get out of him. At the moment, I don't see an Ottawa Senator team moving forward without Forsberg. How about you? I would agree. I, I have been an advocate of the trade him, trade him, trade him. But the, the the problem creeps in. You know, there's so many other factors affecting the decision. If it were just within a vacuum, we have these three goalies, we should probably move one. Uh, I would agree with it. But you, you factor in the Murray health situation. You factor in the Gus, is he really at that level where you can bring him in here for 25 or 30 games next year as a backup to to somebody? preferably assuming it would be it would be Matt Murray because you trade Forsberg but I just think now with yet again another injury with Murray and I just I just you you can't afford to be without Forsberg as we said earlier a couple shows back the value he brings to the Senators on the ice is going to be way more than whatever you're going to get in a trade and that may be the bottom line as far as keeping them or not of the three goalies you ask the question who do you trust if you have to pick here and now, the guy I trust most, both from an injury and performance standpoint, all mixed together in a jambalaya, it's definitely Anton Forsberg because Gustafson, 
ask me the question, can, could he be a number one if you needed him next season? I'd say maybe, but I have no idea. With Matt Murray, you guys never had more than 50 games played in an NHL season. I feel fairly confident in saying he's not going to start now. And as far as performance goes, same thing. I don't know if I trust his level of consistency to where it's been in the last two and a half years. Even before the injury that happened against Arizona, he'd played a couple of pretty bad hockey games after a really nice stretch, don't get me wrong, but it just speaks to the inconsistency. But uh, So if I have to pick here and now, Forsberg for sure would be the obvious choice, and I think that's probably true for most listeners. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm sure there are longtime listeners out there going, okay, here goes Kennedy flip-flopping again. <laughs> when, when I've been so adamant that he needed to be traded. Uh, I, I'd like to think, though, that somewhere in there, if we find the tape, I did say not for a third or fourth rounder. If you can get a second rounder, okay. But now I'm, again, it changes so often, but now I'm in the I'm in the camp of no, you you really can't afford to 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 trade him because you just don't know what you're going to have after he's gone, as you just outlined. Craig Anderson got his 300th victory for the Buffalo Sabers. There wasn't a there wasn't any part of me that when he left that thought, well, he might he might still have something left in the tank, and it's not like he's played a ton since he left. He certainly found a home with Buffalo this year, but with Washington, didn't play that much. If you knew that you were going to get the Craig Anderson we're seeing at this very moment in 2022. If you get that performance out of that guy two seasons in a row, would you have kept him around maybe in Ottawa? That's a damn good question, Steve. And 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 yes, imagine the situation the Senators would find them in now. Um, if you had kept Craig Anderson, he signed in Washington for like 700 or 750 or something. He signed in Buffalo for about the same two or one-year deals. If you had kept him here, and he'd played all of last year uh, you know, as your number one with in the way that Matt Murray played, same number of starts. I can't help thinking he would have done better. Now, granted, he did suffer an injury in Washington. I think he only had like four starts or something like that. But if he'd been here, maybe he stays healthy and he solidifies that, that position while you're mentoring uh, between Gustafson and Forsberg. They're here. Um, and then the second part of this is this season, now in the offseason – it's a much easier decision. You just say, okay, Craig, you're done. Or actually, you know what? Uh, he could be a guy that a team would look at picking up at the trade deadline. Uh, veteran presence, a guy who could easily step in and start for you on a playoff team if, if they had injuries. So if you'd kept him here, you wouldn't have the Murray contract problems. You wouldn't have the, oh my God, they're going to have three goalies here to start next year problem. You wouldn't be worrying about getting a good return for Forsberg. Uh, everything would have been so much rosier. But again, that's that's the rosy of the of the uh, twenty twenty hindsight. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think about the Matt Murray situation right now. What will the Sens do with him? Because I'm, I mean, I swear, between social media and the texts on my phone, like people are saying, okay, it's time to buy that guy out. I'm sick of that act. All of those things. And before we talk a little bit more about Matt Murray and his relationship with the Ottawa Senators and his future here, I want to punctuate the Anderson story. He did get his 300th win, as I mentioned, and he's only the sixth American all time to reach that mark. So a little in-show trivia as a little sort of uh, intermission. Can you name the other five American goalies who've gotten to the 300 win mark in their careers? Right now... Only one of them is still active. 
Sorry, two. Yeah, because because he is like the second generation of American goaltender in the NHL. Your first generation would have been, I'm going to say, John Van Beesbrook and and Mike Richter are in there, and okay, Tom Barrasso. So, so you got yep, all three of those are correct. So now you're now you're into Craig Anderson is like the second generation, right? It's probably a good uh, fifteen to twenty year gap, I would think, between guys who have accomplished this. No, um, um, two guys have no. done it recently. How about Ryan Miller? Ryan Miller is your number one, and uh, not that recent, 391. He's the leader. Yeah. And then and the other guy's more. the active guy. Is Jonathan Quick got that high already? Yep. Well, five for there five. You have you got your computer open? That's that's pretty impressive. <laughs> well, it, it is open, so I can see you on camera. But yeah, no, <laughs> that, that, it makes sense. Like I said, it, it, it's, it's like a second generation, right? It's you had those early guys, Barrasso being the first, came in right out of high school as an eighteen year old, then the tandem there in New York with Van Beesbrook and Richter. And then it takes it like suddenly American kids are watching hockey and seeing these guys on TV. And it probably took twenty years for one of them to grow up and get there. And that's where you step into those next three guys, I guess. Not that, anyway, that's my that's my genetic uh, lecture for today. No one is close to joining them in the 300 club among American goalies. Well, that's cool. Who would be next? Connor Hellebuck is uh, I was going to say, Connor Hellebuck, could probably, has he got, is he even at 200 yet? No, 191 right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a whole bunch of guys in between Hellebuck and the five that I just mentioned, along with Craig Anderson, but uh, they are all inactive, all retired now. So Hellebuck is the next one with a chance to do it. Anyway, hmm. there's a little trivia intermission. Matt Murray. <laughs> Without music. He's, yeah. Uh, there's um, there's a lot of buzz and discussion about Matt Murray because people are getting frustrated with the amount of time he's spent on the DL. We outlined the crazy amount of time he's been out of the lineup, whether it's COVID or injury or personal reasons or on waivers sent to the minors. It's, uh, it's getting a little frustrating for Sens fans right now. He came through a little stretch there where he was playing pretty well for a month, month and a half this season. Had a couple of tough outings and then got hurt against Arizona. And it's led to speculation that maybe Matt Murray is not a happy camper because of what happened with the way they handled the Belleville situation. Um, he clearly, when asked about it, I think it was Ian Mendez who went down to Belleville to have a discussion with him. He didn't really understand. He felt like he was playing the same way. Nothing has changed. Hadn't really talked to anybody in the organization about what the game plan is. Um, do you think Matt Murray is unhappy playing for both DJ Smith and just generally speaking, is he happy being an Ottawa senator? Wow. Um, it, it, well, let's say this first and foremost. I don't like trying to make a comment on how somebody thinks or feels because I have no idea what they think right. or feel unless they look me in the eye and say, I think this or I feel this. I would think that if it were me, um, I, I would have been unhappy with the demotion. From what we know of how it was handled, it maybe wasn't handled in the best of ways, which would have made me even more unhappy. Um, I mean, what we read out there, like, like let's face it, Steve, uh, conspiracy theorists, you know, um, who knows what the truth is and who knows if the truth ever comes out. But apparently he's not happy. He's not happy with... Um, a double standard is, is the phrase that's been thrown around about uh, the best players will play. And even you and I have talked about that. If the best players are going to play, then how come some nights uh, the blue line doesn't look like it's the best players? 
So there's probably a little bit of smoke to the fire there, and and who knows? Um, I can understand if he's unhappy, though. What about you? Well, for sure. I mean, he's won two Stanley Cups. He's being paid over $6 million. He chose to sign with the Senators with, I'm sure, certain expectations. Because, I mean, when he got traded, he could have just turned around and said, yeah, thanks for trading for me, but uh, I'm going to go out and test the free agency. He decided to sign with them, so he had certain expectations about uh, how things were going to go, and I'm sure they did not include being sent down to the minors. It's got to be embarrassing, and I'm sure that that put a sour taste in his mouth. I'm with you, though. I don't know exactly where things stand in terms of emotions. I mean, unless the guys start talking about it, sometimes you can read into things a little. DJ Smith said on Thursday that Matt Murray is not close to a return from an upper body injury. And the way he said it was almost like, again, we're reading into things and speculating, Mm -hmm. but it sounded like there was a little impatience there. Like, holy cow, here we go again. And to throw not close, it's like, well, I I didn't necessarily think he was imminent as far as his return to the lineup goes. It's like the injury just happened on the weekend. So just that he seemed to punch that home not close. And he said it's a neck injury. And uh, he has not yet resumed skating. I don't know. Just it sounded like a little bit of testiness or a little bit of uh, impatience with Matt Murray's situation. Yeah, and again, you know, you, you look at the goaltending coach change. Um, it, it, there's a history of that with it being done in Pittsburgh, and he wasn't happy when it happened there. Um, there's there's the the demotion. There's the call up. There was the travel arrangements around the demotion. Apparently, he. And we knew this at the time. He flew there himself, made arrangements himself. I know that. So I, I don't know. You know, what is it? Uh, three conspiracy theorists walk into a bar. Coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, what are you, you going to do? On Friday... I'm listening to DJ Smith's media availability. One member of the media whose voice I couldn't identify was really taking DJ to task about when he's going or when the organization's going to start adding some good veteran talent. Everybody says the same thing. Top six forward, top four defenseman needs to be added to this organization right now. And DJ Smith was respectful in the answer. Uh, Smith says he feels like the organization is doing the rebuild the right way he says if they stay healthy next year, it'll be fair to judge them. So here's the clip so you can hear it for yourself. The patience that they've shown for me, Mr. Melnick and, and Pierre and not listening to the noise is to stay with the kids all the way through and not to panic and go get a ton of veterans, which maybe gets us closer to the playoffs, you know. But at the end of the day, does Formington get to play as many minutes as he does? Does Brandstrom, does Kelly, does does Norris get to play first-line minutes and be on the power play right away? It doesn't. So I guess to answer your question, Pierre will have to make that decision in the summer. But I think this is the proper timeline of these young kids. I think they're at the point where they're starting to get shabby and these guys 24, 25. Um, they're starting to come at that point where I, I think, you know, it would be fair to say next year it's fair to judge us. Um, if we're healthy, that it's it's time for us to start being better than just okay. See, here's the thing. He makes it sound like they've been really, really favoring the kids. I don't think most Sens fans would agree with that when they watch Derek Stepan and, 
and Eric Goodbranson and Alex Galchenyuk and Josh Paquette. Brown, Zaitsev, Paquette. Um, I, I don't really, I, I know they're the stars, you know, the really high end kids, obviously they're, they're showing them the love, but I'm not sure I see it beyond that. How about you? Yeah, well, first of all, that's that's really low-hanging fruit for anyone who wants to talk about the Senators, right? The lack of older players, the veteran insulating guys, the failure to find them. It's low-hanging fruit to talk about that failure. Um, secondly, I think asking the coach about personnel and signings is the wrong source. Like, like seriously, what do you what do you what are you expecting him to say? Well, you know, I think we should have signed X, Y, and Z, and everything would be fine. Right. He would have loved to have signed X, Y, and Z. Um, but from a overall, uh, if you want to call it the, a team team plan, like, right, it is a plan, it makes sense. And they have brought in veteran players, and they have brought these kids along slowly to the chagrin of some of us, a little too slow at times. But they are getting to the right place, and, and DJ's final point is bang on. Like just shut up, suck it up for now, and you can you can judge us next year. And I would agree with him on that. Well, I don't think he said shut up to anybody in the room, but I yeah, know what you're saying. Sorry. You're just paraphrasing. Yeah. I get that. The thing about it is because we're we're approaching the deadline as we record this, it's ten days away. This is an opportunity right now for the Ottawa Senators because they can't acquire players, veteran players that people want via free agency. They, you know, I, I know it's an awful thing to say about the team I love, but I would always be suspect about an unrestricted free agent who wants to sign with the Sens at this time. It just, it doesn't, it, it, it's just a massive red flag. So you can't acquire veterans at this stage, not until maybe three, four years when things change around. I don't think good UFAs are interested in signing here when they have other options. So the only way you're going to bring in these veteran people that are going to mentor and also be assets, be part of the Stanley Cup solution, potentially top six forward or a top four D would be right around now using some of your youth capital or your draft asset capital. You, you, you purge a bit of that to bring in help now, and you'll probably only be able to deal with a few teams on that front. Other non-playoff teams who are looking to rebuild themselves, you'll probably have to grab good players from bad teams who are in the midst of a rebuild. So I, that's the only way I can see them getting their hands on something that's not homegrown. That's of real value. Yeah. You're bang on. It's around now or it's around draft day or the, I'm very leery of it happening around end of training camp time, because then it's even more likely that, you're going to be questioning the player that you get. It's one thing to question an, a, a free agent who chooses to come here. What type of character does he have or what type of player is he if he wants to come here? But it would be even worse at the end of training camp when suddenly somebody's on waivers and the Sens pick him up. I'm like, okay, why is that guy on waivers? You know, if you're not going to find a true top six or top four D, top six forward uh, at that time of year. It's now at the trade deadline or it's around the draft. And they have so many assets now. Assets both already already playing in Belleville or already drafted and, and still playing junior or wherever. Plus all of the future draft picks, the, the picks that they have this year. There are, you couldn't possibly afford 
to pay everybody the money it would cost within the salary cap if everybody they have right now uh, pans out to be what everybody thinks they're going to be, right? Like look at a lineup five years from now between Kachuk and Batherson and and uh, Sanderson and Shabbat and and assume, assuming a, a superstar goaltender plus first round draft picks of, of last year, like a Pinto and like a Ridley Gregg. All these guys pan out. You don't have enough money. So it wouldn't kill you to trade a few of them away now. Let's get one thing perfectly clear. I want the Senators to acquire a top six forward. I don't want them to acquire somebody who is playing on someone else's third line. But you know what? He's good enough to play in a top six. He's going to come here and and fill a hole on our second line right wing. No, right. no, no. I want the guy to be a legitimate top six forward. Is that yeah. what do you? What do you, how do you feel about it? Totally. It's not the way you build a Stanley Cup contender. If he was a third liner somewhere else, eventually, as your team ascends, as far as performance goes, he'll be a third liner for you as well. So, yeah, you want to start plugging guys into the appropriate holes. DJ Smith said it in that clip a moment ago, that next year you can fairly start judging us. This stage of the game, if you need a top six player, then go get a top six player, not a hybrid top six player. And if they suck again next year, you won't be talking to DJ Smith about it. Who knows? This guy just signed a three-year extension. And we know that ownership is never that big on paying guys to do nothing. Not the big on paying guys to do something. So it's a case of (laughs) even though that would be the common hockey thought, the appropriate hockey thought, I don't even know. It may just be a case of I'm not paying for two coaches. Okay, so some news as we record this. That's a funny thing about doing a podcast versus the radio days. In the radio days, okay, the up-to-the-minute stuff. Ideally, in a podcast, you want stuff that's going to last. Talk about things that's going to last for three or four days, ideally, until our next episode, at least. I found that, you know, that one we recorded on Monday with Drake Batherson, two or three things had broken that day. It's like, oh, come on. We're obsolete already? For God's sakes, what's going on? Anyway, the news of the day, uh, DJ Smith talking about the roster as they get ready for Chicago. Thomas Shabbat could not go at practice. So if he can't go against Chicago, Victor Mete would come in. Connor Brown is questionable but expected to play. You got Philip Gustafson is going to play one of the games, either against the Hawks or against Arizona. Schedule is getting a little soft for the Sens here in the next little while, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I, I joked with you, find the tape. I think it was early in the season I had gone through the schedule and and looked at this very time of the year and thought if they were close, there's an opportunity here for them down the stretch. They have uh, how many games they have left, Steve? It's uh, 25 and 18 of them are against non-playoff teams. There's a... There's a chance here they could have finish even better than their their closing stretch of last season. Ooh, and that would disappoint some Sens fans, I'm sure, thinking about their draft lottery status. Right now, the club, just for perspective, I believe they're in 26th place. I really don't think they can go up in the standings much higher than they are. Like, I could see them maybe going from 26th and maybe catching Detroit, which has right now an eight-point lead on them, and Detroit is in 23rd place. So I think the Sens are pretty much locked in in that sort of 23 to 26 window, but they could plummet, potentially. They have a seven-point advantage on the 31st-place Seattle Kraken and a 10-point lead on dead last Montreal. So right now they're in the creamy middle, and uh, 
Yeah, but there's always people who say when you uh, get into the silly season and the sends are going to get hot, all they do is damage their draft stock. I don't see them going up that much higher in the standings, regardless of how good they play down the stretch. The show is brought to you by Jim K. Ford, and they are celebrating their 40th year of serving Ottawa. In my opinion, Greg, you simply do not last that long in this business without being elite. Jim K. Ford has always been family-owned and operated. Their amazing team of professionals, right from sales to service, is constantly training and improving to provide you with the best possible customer experience. So do a little shopping today at JimKFord.com, then order up your perfect dream vehicle exactly the way you want it. Visit them at 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. All right, back to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. Why is Adam Gaudette playing ahead of Tyler Ennis, in your opinion? Right now, he uh, lined up in the last game, last couple, I think. He lined up on the right side. Oh, Patrick Kane would be an improvement. And oh, sorry. Uh, Gaudette <laughs> with Tim Stutzla and Alex Formanton um, on the pseudo second line. What do you think Ennis kind of getting shuffled out of the lineup in favor of Gaudette? Yeah, I don't I don't understand it. We I know you and I both like uh Tyler Ennis, so maybe we we feel differently about it. It, it like is Tyler is Gaudette a guy that that you think you can move? Is there some sort of showcasing going on? Um I, I don't like either I don't like Ennis or Gaudette being on your on your second line. I think it, it affects my, my read on Alex Formanton. I, I like, as I'm on record as saying, I'm not convinced he's a top six guy. It affects the read there. Uh, what has, has Gaudette done that Ennis hasn't? Uh, I guess the thought is that if it's going to be in the two slot on the right side, then Gaudette is the better player for that type of game. Then Ennis is Ennis, you know, is, is definitely not a top six guy. So maybe the thinking is that God, that's a better fit there. If it's fourth line or third line minutes, then it's an Ennis night. Uh, I don't know. That's the only thing I can come up with. I think I'm in a situation where I like both players, but neither of them belongs anywhere near a top six. And so it doesn't matter a ton to me one way or the other. And I mean, Ennis is in a situation where he's going to be a UFA at the end of the year. They'll probably move on from him. So, I, I yeah, it doesn't – on the one hand, you might want to be showcasing him. Gaudet, though, maybe he's fitting in better in the locker room, although I've heard Ennis is the funniest guy in the world and everybody loves loves them some Enzo. So, yeah, it's. It, I think it's just one of those let's give Gaudet a try for a while. But I'm surprised Ennis is straight out of the lineup and has been for a few games now. I do like Connor Brown moving up on the lineup, though. I did talk about that in the last episode. <laughs> he, had, he had Sanford up on the top line with Kachuk and Norris. I'm kind of scratching my head at that one before I realize, oh, maybe they're just looking to showcase a guy who's a UFA at the end of the year. But I don't. in terms of trying to win a hockey game, it makes more sense to have your best available right winger on the top line, in my opinion. It'll be Batherson before long, and it looks like he's doing all right. I don't know if you saw any of that video with Drake Batherson at practice this week. But uh, he is, he's, he's, he's working that ankle really hard in skates. And I guess he's wearing a, non, a, a full contact jersey now. So his return is imminent. Yeah. I mean, that was the, that was the word uh, from Bruce uh, between periods, was it last night? Um, saying he's, he's six to, it was six to eight weeks. Or no, it was eight to 10 weeks, I guess, or eight to 12 weeks, whatever. The uh, eight week uh, window is uh, March 26th. 
And uh, Bruce is saying that he, he thinks the Drake will be back between the 19th and the 26th. So we'll uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Uh, we're not going to bug Drake next time he's on with us. We'll just, uh, you know, I don't think he wants to be throwing dates out there just in case he can't make that date. It doesn't look good. But uh, no, he definitely looks good on the ice and I'm looking forward to seeing him back out there. Well, he did throw out when we asked him about it. We, we said two to three weeks and that was on March the 7th. So that jives well parallel with yep. what Bruce threw out there as well. So uh, looking very good. I did notice when I'm watching, he's doing these stops and starts. He was only stopping on the right side of his body. He didn't try the other side. That may well have been part of the drill. I don't know, but it would suggest that he's probably still not comfortable coming to a real hard hockey stop on the left side of his body. Ooh, thanks for that, Colombo. We'll have to check that out next time we talk to him. Yep. We'll How about your this. Parker Kelly? Are you loving your are you loving your some Parker Kelly out there? He, he's done some. If I look at the body of work over the course of the season, he has these moments where you go, "What are you doing?" <laughs> but lately, lately he's been winning me over just strictly with work ethic, and I think that's why DJ Smith and the organization likes him so much. In that he just does not take a shift off. Like if he were a baseball player, he'd be FP Santangelo. Huh? <laughs> yeah. The former one. Ottawa Lynx infielder, then Montreal Expo. Mm-hmm. That was a guy whose uniform was absolutely filthy while he's standing at the national anthem. The game hadn't even started yet. That's the level of hustle we're talking about. He's out there in the warm up getting getting dirty. But that's that's kind of Parker Kelly in a nutshell. He gives you an honest effort every single night. Yeah, he gets his nose dirty. He uh, he gets under people's skin. He's a little bit of a yapper. Uh, and he brings a little more offense than people may be aware of. Uh, I, I I just I love it when he's in the lineup, I, I, whether it's seven minutes or, you know, the, the St. Louis game, almost all the forwards were, were about cl- close to the same, you know, between 12 and 16. Um, when he's rolling with four lines and getting even more ice time, he's he doesn't lose any effectiveness. And uh, to see him score a couple goals lately here, it's uh, good for him. I like the kid. And I love the fact that he couldn't care less about his uh, his alopecia there that he has on his head. He's got one of the ugliest looking hairdos you'll ever see. But, of course, it is a condition that he's had all his life. So he, And he doesn't care. Like, you think he'd shave it all bald and just go with it. But, no, he couldn't care less. Yeah, you got to love that. Yeah, that's uh, – I think we all looked at that initially and go, what's going on there? Is that like a – is hazing Initiation. still happening? Is this uh, yeah. is this something you know the rookie's got to get his head shaved in a weird fashion? But no, it's uh yeah, it is an actual condition, and uh, yeah, that is good to see that he's free to talk about it and doesn't doesn't bug him whatsoever. All right, so Ontario has lifted some of the capacity issues that they've uh, they've tried to keep everybody safe, and now sends uh, the sends can just basically open up the doors. Come on in, no proof of vaccination required, no capacity limits. And for the game against the Seattle Kraken, they came in, I think, with 11,000 and change. Concerned about that number at all? I am. I'm quite concerned. I know that uh, uh, Claire Hanna mentioned it uh, during the game that it was the first the first time they'd had full capacity, no capacity limits. So the first time since December the 11th, which is roughly three months ago. Uh, so I looked it up. On December 11th, the Sens were... Uh, had won three of their last four, and it was Tampa Bay coming in, two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning coming in, um, and they only managed a little over 13,000 that night. And you and I were, had talked about this uh, in past episodes about 
like, geez, what's going on with attendance? Is it because of people in Ontario are nervous, scared, whatever? Well, now you have complete nothing. Like in another week, you won't even have to wear a mask. And they, they drew, draw only 11.6. Now, I understand it's Seattle, but uh, well, come on, people. Those numbers better start climbing down the stretch here. Well, public health over the last two years has basically been training us to be afraid of large gatherings. And I think that's a hard thing to just turn off like a light switch. And and by the way, they were right to make us afraid of large gatherings. Uh, it was a very deadly serious pandemic situation. So I want to be able to say, okay, this is, uh, this is understandable. But then I decided to go back to the season when they played like 71 games. And then in March, almost two years ago to the day, by the way, when they shut down the regular season at about the 71 game mark, um, I, I checked on what the attendance for the Sens, the average attendance was for oh. that season. And that number was not dramatically higher than they had in the game against the Seattle Kraken. Their average attendance that season was 12,600, which was an all-time franchise low. So no pandemic issues there. Just, I think, a bunch of fans that were not very happy about the state of the team and about ownership. And so I don't think that what happened when you factor in the pandemic, that's actually a decent number when you compare it to what happened, you know, where things were at two years ago with this, uh, with this fan base and the team. Well, that's scary. I'd, I'd like to, um, I'd like to think, okay, now, excuse me, with the, with the talent that is here now, with these young kids, with the exciting brand of hockey they play. um, Okay. Let's, let's see those numbers go up. I I still think that it's time to start climbing. If you want to say that in 1920, the numbers were the way they were pre pandemic, because of the product on the ice, then I'm going to say, all right, fine. But the product on the ice is much better now. And and let's start getting out there and seeing them play. Like to see Brady Kachuk play every night, to see Thomas Shabbat, uh, Stutzla, Josh Norris is on fire. Like there are all kinds of reasons to get out and see them play now. Yeah, I'd agree. And hopefully everybody does. It's uh, another factor in this thing, and I'll leave it at this. Sometimes people become creatures of habit. I think we all are to some degree. And you get people in the mode of all last season, you know, there was no opportunity to even go to the game. And so they get into that habit, that mode of just sitting down and watching a game and how easy that is. That's uh, sometimes a tough turnaround. But there's nothing better, I think, than actually being at the hockey game because you just see so much more of it. All right, let's close it out today with uh, some better thoughts. And that is the excitement level people have for Josh Norris. I'll be honest, we're going to talk about that right out of the gate, but we got sidelined on goaltending talk. But Josh Norris, I mean, Chuck Norris is out there with the roundhouse kicks, right? That was what he was famous for. Josh Norris is going to be famous for that beauty one-timer. He had a couple in that game against Seattle, including the game winner that we played out of the gate. And he now has, what does he have, like something around 22 goals on the season now. He's actually on pace if he'd played the full season. For 44 goals. That is going to be a guy that is going to get paid by the Sens at some point. The question is when. Let's get this guy done. Uh, I don't know what it's going to take. It's eight times eight. You know, that's probably where he's starting. Let's not forget he is with Craig Oster, everybody's favorite agent. So I don't know what it's going to take, but I'd love to hear something. Let's let's get a deal done. He's got, what is it, like 
six points in his last uh, five, like since coming back, he's got six points in five games. He scored four or five goals his last five games. He just tied Alexi Ashen for the most goals in your first 100 games as a senator. And it's just, it's, it's nice to see that he's panned out to, uh, to, uh, to, to be the player that, that uh, I, for one thought he could be, I'm, I'm thrilled to see him playing this well. And, and it's going to be interesting to see what kind of negotiations happen now between now and the start of next season. So Josh Norris is going to be a fascinating situation because when you look at his his deal right now, where you know the clock is ticking, they could have signed him back in the fall, and my I don't think Norris would have been interested in that. By the way, because I think he really wanted to come out and have a big season, which he is, even though he had the injury. He's going to finish strong, and he'll be glad that he did it this way because he's going to get paid. The question is, what do you pay this guy? I feel like this thing, Greg, will drag into the season because you've got Brady Kachuk, who's already at $8.2 million and a buddy of Norris's. You've got Thomas Shabbat, who's already at $8 million. Why in the world would Josh Norris settle for anything less than $8 million like these two guys are getting? But from the Sens' perspective, this just in. You can't be paying everybody who rolls in with an expiring RFA contract $8 million. That's where he's going to start, though. Like, he, he, that has to be what he's going to start uh, as an asking point. Uh, point. Um, can you get him for seven? Could you Could you do it for six and a half, escalating up to seven and a half and maybe finishing at eight? So it averages out to an AAV around seven would be nice. But I just, it's going to be difficult. And again, it's Craig Oster. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's not on the ice now that you've now that you've corrected me. I wouldn't be surprised if he's not on the ice come uh, come training camp. Yeah, it's going to be a long haul there. Uh, at least Drake Batherson, he's probably going to feel when all is said and done, like hmm, maybe I should have held out for a couple more shekels <laughs> in there at five million dollars. Anyway, he he's set. I'm not. I don't think anybody's too upset about that whole scenario. But uh, yeah, he'll join us. Drake will in our next episode coming up. On Monday, if you got a question for the Drake, send it along. Sends Nation podcast at Outlook.com. You can also send it via our hotline. Go to SendsNationHockey.com. Click on SN Nation and record a question for Drake Batherson. That's coming up in our next episode. I want to thank you for being with us today. Greg, what do you got? What Anything new on the... Or do you want to talk about it? Anything new on the Valley Timberwolves front? Uh, we've got three games left, Steve. It's, uh, it's been a, it's been a bit of a grind. I, I feel sorry for the poor guys that have, that have stuck around and stuck it out with this club this season. You know, I came in late in the year replacing a, a, a staff that decided to move on, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the guys that are there and are, are saying, you know what, we're here, we're playing junior hockey and we want to get better. And they're the guys that are still showing up. So. We might not be getting the most perfect results in the world, but uh, I, I enjoy working with these guys, and we still got three games left. Very good. Well said. All right, we're calling it quits for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers, or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SensNationHockey.com.